0: Our sermon reading for this morning is from Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 31. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. This is God's word. Whose job has taken them in the line of public speaking Uh, as far as your day-to-day life goes. When you have a job like that, I don't know if it's just me or if some of you have experienced it as well, I have this recurring dream in which church starts here and I don't have my sermon written and I have absolutely nothing to say. And so that final song wraps up and I come up here and I still have nothing to say to you people. And it's just a blank mess of nothingness. Paul's got the words, though. Paul's got those words in this this public speaking setting that could be considered challenging to say the least. I want you to think of the the picture we're looking at here today. Paul is coming into the Areopagus. It is called Mars Hill. It is named after a false god, a a mythological god. Paul, this, this Jewish Christian, is now talking to these polytheists who believe in every god under the sun. Their worldviews don't align in any way, shape, or form, and then they bring in Paul because they had heard what he had been saying in the city and they, they want to know more. No, maybe it's not considered a, a hostile audience or anything like that. They're not, they're not ready to stone him or anything. But they're skeptical. What words do you use? If you are the Apostle Paul and you have very, very few shared common grounds with the people that you're talking to, how, how could you possibly communicate to these, to these polytheists that you believe in one God? How could you possibly convey the deep love and sacrifice that Christ made for you on the cross, the resurrection from the grave, to people who think it is laughable that the resurrection would even be a teaching? Paul does a pretty good job, doesn't he? He meets the people where they are at, and he speaks to them on their terms. And he plays on on what they already know and already feel concerning, concerning their religious life. He says, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Man, did these people worship. They were devout. They cared. They were ardent followers of their gods. They would build altars. They would take time out of their day. They would take the money out of their pockets and give it to those gods. The government even set up buildings and temples, these things that you can still see the ruins of today, to worship all of these false gods. Man, did they care. but it was aimless. It was so aimless that they had even set up an altar like this one, and on the side of it, they had said, uh, eh, to an unknown God. We don't know what's out there. We want to make sure that nobody feels left out here. We're going to set up an altar to an unknown God. You can see the desire to serve, but the thing that they are serving is just all wrong. And so Paul plays on that. He plays on that as he makes them realize that, that they had the right intentions, they had the right, they had the right desire behind it, but they, they were completely aimless in the way that they were approaching it. And so look how Paul talks about that fervent heart. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times and history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far off from any one of us. He's playing on their natural knowledge of God. God created each human being in this world with a natural knowledge that there is something out there. There is some God that is higher than us. God is up here. We are down here. And you could see that playing itself out among the Greeks. They recognized that there was a God, maybe multiple gods out there. They just had no idea what that God was like. And so Paul plays on that. And he says, you know God is out there. And even today, he tells us, you know God is out there. Even though there are people across society that would try to suppress that knowledge, that would take that natural knowledge of God that they receive from their conscience and that they receive by looking around at creation... They try to shove it to the side. And yet God says, no, it's still there. You still know that there is a God that exists. And he uses the Apostle Paul today to tell those people exactly what that God was like. He uses the Apostle Paul to tell them not something that they already know, but but something that they were ignorant of. They had built all of these temples. They built all of these altars. And they were serving nothing. As I was reading through this text with with some of my pastor buddies, uh, as we were preparing for our sermons this week, we got through and we were about 10 minutes into the conversation and one of the guys on the Zoom call put his hand up and he goes, okay, look guys, I'm going to say the elephant in the room thing here. I don't know about your congregation, but I don't have many people in my congregation that worship the Greek gods. That worship the Greek gods of war, that worship the Greek gods of fer- fertility. That's not a problem in my congregation. I'm not sure about yours. Point well taken. So, as Paul explains to these people what the true God is really like, does he have something to say to us? I think so. As you would have walked around Athens back then, you could have found a God for just about anything you wanted. I've got a, a small little list of them, of gods that you could have gone and, and, and seen. You could have gone to the temple of Athena Nike to worship victory. You could have visited the sanctuary of Zeus Polius to ask for protection for the city. You could have visited the temple of Hephaestus and asked for that god to bless you with the skill to do the work that you had in front of you in life. Would any of you consider doing that? Probably not. Those were the gods of Athens. But I sometimes wonder, what would it look like if we as a congregation took a little tour through this sinner's heart? No, you might not find a God devoted to the God of war or to the God of fertility or anything like that. But as we took a tour of this heart or the heart that that beats inside of you, would we find temples and altars that ought not to be there? A temple to your job or an altar to your job on which time with your savior and your kids is sacrificed time and time again to the detriment of your family. Would we find in in this temple or in this heart a, a temple that has been dedicated to your favorite, your favorite politician? And, and it's gotten to the point where you have moved God out of the way and said, you know, God, I think we need to give you a smaller place here in the corner of my heart because I have one focus in my life, and it is, it is this political movement, it is this politician. What other altars would you see in the, the heart that beats inside of this center? The altar that's been devoted to, to cursing, to anger, to slander, the places where you go to, to, to sacrifice all of your relationships there, to this one God that seems to control you? <clears throat> Is in, in your heart, do you have an altar that has inscribed on it to an unknown God as we take what we know about God and we, we morph it and mold it and we try to make him fit into what we expect from God? Do we have a, a big temple in our hearts? I know I often have a big temple. Big temple in my heart. And if you walked inside that temple, you would see one thing. This big, dumb, blown-up picture of my face where I can go and worship at the feet of my God, me. Brothers and sisters, throughout our lives, we all serve something. We all serve something thinking that it is going to give us happiness, that it is going to give us pleasure, and that it is going to give us fulfillment. And the only reason I go through all of those altars and temples that we set up in our hearts is that you can understand how exceedingly better the temple that God sets up in there is. God comes into your hearts and sets up a temple to himself and dashes the rest of them to pieces and says, I am going to give you something better to love. I'm going to give you something better to serve not some fat, lazy God that sits on his rear end until you finally decide to give him your best, but instead the God who removes himself from his throne, who comes down to this earth, who lives and dies in our place and who rises again. That's the God we worship. We worship a God that is so much better than a God that just calls us to blindly serve him. We serve a God who loved us first. We serve a God who served us first. We see that in the, in the words that Paul speaks to these people. These people had gotten so focused on serving their gods with their hands. And at a certain point, you think they would have had to get sick of it. And so God, Paul says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives life and breath and everything else. God says, you need me, and I'm here to help you in your need. That is a God worth serving, brothers and sisters. That is a God that actually fulfills his promises. That's a God that actually gives grace, forgiveness, mercy, and fulfillment to your life. Do you see that in our society right now? Maybe you see it in your own heart. A desire for the power and the love that Jesus exacts on your behalf. You can see that desire when when Paul actually quotes the contemporaries and he says, For in him we live and move and have our being and we are his offspring. This is a society that wanted to stand on solid ground and know that they were loved, that they had some type of control and and Paul says, No, remove that thought from your head and know that instead of you being called to love best, God has loved you first. God exacts power on your behalf. So much power that, that Paul takes them by the hand and he leads them to the resurrection. That is the entire goal of, of what Paul's entire conversation with these people is about. He wants them to understand the resurrection that Christ, that Christ brought about for them. And they laughed. Some of them smiled and shook their head and, and walked away from Paul but many of them heard. And they heard what Christ had done for them. They heard that that Christ loved them so dearly that, that that he left his throne and rose to save them. Yes, brothers and sisters, even when we feel like idolaters, even when we could... We could maybe look in our hearts and see all those temples and those altars that we've created to things that don't don't even sort of matter in this world. Christ says, Don't worry, I've forgiven those sins. The God who gave us a heart fills our heart and saves our heart. Look no further. Don't get get sucked into all of the the false gods this world has to offer because they're just that. They're false. They're mythological. They might seem really attractive at first, but I promise there's nothing compared to serving at the feet of the Lord who served you first. There's nothing compared to serving at the feet of, of a God you know loves you we serve the only God worth serving. We serve a God of grace. Amen.